As a boy, I collected ferns in England. When, therefore, I landed in Auckland, after a long voyage in a sailing ship, I knew something about them. So eager was I to explore the New Zealand bush that I walked out to Waitakere. There was no railway in 1875. A few days after coming ashore, scrambling over some fern hills, I entered a belt of tall manuka and emerged suddenly into a bush gully. Never shall I forget that first half hour, the sensation of beholding entirely new ferns in whichever direction I turned my eyes. As I had seen no work on the New Zealand ferns, not even a collection, they were as great a find to me as to the first discoverer. Kia ora, I'm Sue Berman. And I'm Benjamin Brooking. And this story is about ferns and three early books and special collections at Auckland Libraries that are not only about plants, but are also, in their own ways, manufactured embodiments of the plants themselves. One thing that's useful to know before jumping into this episode is that in Victorian England, there was a massive trend, you may even call it an obsession, all about ferns. Just as the general populace of Britain was becoming more aware of Aotearoa, the fern crazed among them soon began to realise that the new world also had a lot of new ferns as well. As with all our stories, you can find images of the items we're discussing on our website, and as with everything in our collection, these items are also available for you to view in person. We start today by talking with Renee Orr, one of our rare book curators at Auckland Libraries. These books, they're from a time when people in the 19th century were very, very interested in ferns and ferns collecting. It's sometimes called fern mania, a craze that spread through all aspects of Victorian society. How much of a thing is fern mania? Is this like a, is this, is this like a defined thing? Is this something that you've named? No, no, it's a, it's a completely um, legitimate term that other people use. It even has um, a slightly more scientific name called teriodomania, which I can't say very well, but um, I prefer to say fernmania. It became very, very popular for a number of reasons. So ferns had historically been quite difficult to propagate. It took people quite a while to figure out how they reproduced. So there was a sort of development in that scientific knowledge that people were able to collect specimens, realise how their reproductive processes took place and then grow new varieties. People uh, who lived in cities became very interested in gardening as a hobby. So it's a, it's a nice healthy hobby to have. Going on long walks in the countryside, they'd get all the benefits of fresh air, but also all the excitement of finding new fern varieties and new species that they could either take home, try and grow themselves uh, in their London flats, um, or they could uh, dry them as samples and put them in books. They also were sort of valued in lots of ways because they were um, sort of not showy. You know, flowers are very sort of, here I am, look at me, I'm colourful. Ferns um, seem to have this these sort of qualities of being more subtle, but also very decorative. You'd see them on um, wallpapers, on fabric prints. And I guess people were finding a lot of ferns in this part of the world. In, in Aotearoa, definitely. So there were already a lot of ferns in Britain. Um, but when people came here, they discovered that um, this country was particularly blessed with a lot of fern species that had never been seen before. I guess it kind of became part of 
the excitement of discovering a new place. It um, generated a whole publishing industry, so people began to produce books about ferns, um, guides to ferns, guides to fern collecting. Would you like to launch into book number one? So this book is Herbert Dobby's 145 Varieties of New Zealand Ferns. Herbert Dobby's 145 Varieties of New Zealand Ferns was first issued in 1880. To give you a bit more of a sense of its appearance, it's 103 pages long and it stands at 27 centimetres tall. Uh, I'm reading from the title page. They're sometimes called um, Herbert Dobby's um, Blue Books because the pages are very, very vividly blue, in fact. So if you've ever seen a blueprint or you kind of know what sort of uh, technical drawing plan blueprints look like, this is created through the same process, um, technically called a cyanotype. And what that means is that Herbert Dobby um, had these large sheets of specially coated paper and he had these large sheets of glass and he placed and arranged his ferns on top of the glass and then exposed uh, the paper to the sun. So the sun shines through the glass, the ferns are on the glass and an impression is formed on the paper underneath. And then he would have uh, washed them in water, that sets the image, and then put them in another chemical solution to kind of fix, fix the paper. Are the ferns kind of actual size? Is that sort of a part of its, its nature of this process? Yeah, that's right. True to size um, fern specimens. And he's just literally placed them on a piece of glass and then the sun forms the impression. Kind of like if you were to just pop it on a, a photocopier machine today. Yeah, exactly. It's described as a type of nature printing. So nature printing is where you print from the, uh, the literal sample of plant specimen. Once you make one, you can't just copy it. No, so you can't then put the image that you've created on the photocopier. You have to expose another whole piece of paper. It's a really laborious way to make a book because you're having to expose each each piece of paper individually and then cut them all up and bind them. So as a result, um, there aren't very many copies of these books, um, fewer than 20 perhaps. And um, every copy is a little bit is a little bit unique. Tell me about the life and times of Herbert Dobby. Ah, uh, yeah. So um, Herbert Dobby's a um, he's a very interesting, very interesting man. So he arrived here in 1875, and he was an engineer by trade. Um, so he ended up working for New Zealand Railways, and it's thought that that was where he came upon the idea of using this blueprint process, because it would have been a technology that they used themselves for their engineering plans. He was uh, really a person of many, many interests. So he was a keen cyclist and he went on long distance uh, tours. He wrote novels, he played a French horn in a band. Uh, he was a woodcarver and made furniture. So as well as ferns, he had a lot of, a lot of interests. And uh, these two photographs um, are from a photograph album that we have in the collection here. 
And that was a family album that was donated to um, Auckland Libraries. So this one here shows um, Herbert Dobby in later life. Um, he's, uh, he's kind of got white whiskers um, and he's sitting next to a stream holding a kind of a collection, a little bouquet of, um, of some ferns. So that's quite a lovely portrait. This one here also features him standing underneath um, a reasonably mature uh, tree fern and I think it's been taken to sort of emphasise how big this tree fern is. The photograph is taken at his house which was called uh, Rua Tōtara located um, in Market Road in Epsom. It's now the site of uh, St Cuthbert's School. I don't know if the fernery still exists but he developed a pretty extensive fern fernery on that property and um, would have been quite proud, I think, to have grown a tree fern of this size. Tree ferns were amazing to people who came from Britain because they don't have them there. Um, you know, they have smaller ferns that kind of grow in gullies and things, but nothing that's like a tree-sized fern. Do you want to jump onto the next book? So this book here um, was made as a, as a souvenir book. It was made by a man called Eric Craig. It's called New Zealand Ferns. Eric Craig's New Zealand Ferns was published in the late 19th century. It is 31 centimetres tall. The cover, which is made of wood, so it's bound with leather on the spine, but the front and back covers are made of kauri and they're, they're carved with uh, stylized kind of designs and clearly, um, you know, quite different from your your average book. So beautiful. Yeah, it is lovely. Honestly, it reminds me of the kind of thing you'd see in a very ornate church. Yeah. You know, wood is, over time, it's actually pretty fragile as a as a kind of material for making a, a book cover out of. I mean, it's pretty worn, and you can see there's a bit of a crack on the on the front cover here, and, you know, our copy is missing a little bit at the back. But it is still very beautiful. I mean, I love all the imperfections of things like this. So it was made by Eric Craig. And Eric Craig was the, um, the person who bought, it's thought, um, Herbert Dobby's glass plates. But this one is slightly different in that it contains actual samples of ferns themselves. You open it up and you find the, sil the silver fern and pressed, dried, and then arranged. The visual aspect of arranging them as if they were, um, I guess, a kind of a bouquet of flowers is the, is the sort of reference. There is, at the bottom, a label which um, relates to one of the ferns, but these are clearly all different species, so it's hard to tell which one if you don't actually know yourself. Very bright green fern, is that? How's it, how's it's colour like that? Do you think it's painted or? Yeah, I think it's dyed. These sort of specimens have been enhanced, I guess. Um, and this is sort of uh, moss or lichen. So you get these yeah, additions to create um, to create these displays from a, an aesthetic kind of point of view. Um, but yeah, I think this very bright kind of green is, um, that doesn't look like a natural colour to me. Most plant species will fade to brown. It's not a scientific book. It was yeah, basically kind of marketed at people who would have liked to buy a souvenir. If you're in Auckland, perhaps travelling, you could um, pop up to Eric Craig's um, museum and curio shop 
and buy yourself a book ready-made um, of New Zealand ferns and then take it back to England with you as a, as a memento. Eric Craig was, um, you know, he's another, like Herbert Dobby, he's another quite large figure in New Zealand fern collecting. So the, sh the shop that he ran from Princes Street right next to the um, Auckland Museum um, was a place that he sold lots of items. And there's actually an ad. Eric Craig, dealer in ferns, shells and curios near the museum, Princes Street. He has New Zealand ferns mounted in books, 20 to 148 varieties, in boxes, 20 to 130 varieties, on cardboard, 12 to 48 varieties, curiosities from most of the Pacific Islands, clubs, spears, bows and arrows, Māori kits and mats, kauri gum ornaments, shell ornaments, shell necklaces, great variety, shells, shark's teeth, cat's eyes, sea eggs, Fiji pottery, tapa and fern labels. Again, thinking about the sort of Victorian context of um, collecting and um, museum making would have been of great interest to um, British people who were now living here or visiting here and also people who had made Aotearoa their home and were wanting to make a connection and learn more about where they had come to. After talking with Renee, we wanted to know how these books are being utilised in Tamaki Makoto today. Michaela Curtis is a poet, academic, printmaker, and letterpress printer. She found inspiration in the fern books and Dobby's prints, and has subsequently donated some of her beautiful artist books to special collections, which are housed in the Angela Morden collection. I started printing when I lived in Edinburgh. When I came back to New Zealand, I was working for um, Professor Michelle Leggett, um, who was working on a project about Emily Cumming Harris, who was a diarist and a botanical artist in Taranaki in the 1850s. Um, I was staying in Tongaporutu with some friends, um, which is not far from Taranaki, uh, and I decided I was going to go ferning. I printed some big pieces called Pteridomania and they were um, responding to collecting in Taranaki and thinking about Emily Cumming Harris, thinking about ferning, thinking about that as a colonial, potentially quite problematic pastime and sort of re-examining that from a contemporary lens. That's how I got started. Ko makaila tōku ingoa, he uriau i ōku tipuna mō kōtarana, i whanganga au my family are all Scottish, well not all of them, but a lot of them, and I grew up in Auckland. I was born at the foot of Maunga Kiki, and my name is Michaela Curtis. I am a letterpress printer, a printmaker, and a poet. What have you got? Um, so I've got three books that I've brought in. Um, they're printed on fabric. Most of them are printed from um, ferns and plants that I have collected. Um, so the first is Gaps Thresholds. These are their titles. These are their titles. And this one um, has two sections to it. The first is actually printed from driftwood. So the driftwood was sliced so that I could ink it up and then take a print from the slice. And each one is a different segment of that piece of wood that I collected. And this is printed on 100% um, cotton. 
plant material and plant material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second section is um, kawakawa leaves. Mm, beautiful. And these were really, really fun to print with. The parts that have been eaten away, those lines come up so beautifully in the print. Do you ink the leaf and... So there's a couple of different processes that I use. With these kawakawa, the process of printing them is having a piece of wood, which I ink up and place the leaf on and place a scrap piece of paper and as if I'm printing it. And then I take the scrap piece of paper off, I take the kawakawa leaf off, I put a scrap piece of paper on, I put the kawakawa leaf back on with the ink facing up and then put the fabric on it and then print it. Yeah, I really like that you... Um you know, uh, sharing also the provenance of where you've collected. Yeah, that's really important to me about where the things came from. Um, There's a reason I collect in those places and a process that I go through to ensure that I feel that I'm collecting in an appropriate way um, and a way that I look after the specimens even once I've used them Um, because it's important that I am effectively taking something and and that I need to um, account for that and look after that. I'm collecting from my parents' place. I do a lot of collecting there. I know that they're going to be moving somewhere in the next couple of years and I grew up there um, and I have a lot of connection there and there's a lot of trees and every one of them was planted by my family. So there's sort of a recording that's going on, I think, where I'm going and collecting all of these things and thinking about what it was like to grow up there. When we do things carefully, and we do them with purpose, and we do them with a broader understanding, then ferning is fine. It's like collecting a few stones on the beach. But you need to be aware that you don't take more than what the plant and the surroundings can offer you. So you don't take the one frond that that fern has because then you are damaging that fern. And so that is a really big part of that process. And ferning from the Victorian era of Terridomania, which is very much the space of Dobby, is that they would go and just pull the whole plant out um, because they didn't know how to propagate them. So they would just pull them out. And and then what does that do to the species? What does that do to the environment? We can see that that the pieces that he collected and printed with, when they have roots, we know that they were pulled from the ground. When they don't, well, we don't know. And we don't know how much he did that. We don't know whether or not when he pulled one from the ground if there were five next to it. But it is a good question to be thinking about what kind of damage we do to the environment. I do think that the fact that Terridomania or the fern craze sort of hit its peak at around the same time that Tetriti was signed is a, a big part of how Pākehā see their belonging in New Zealand. I'm still thinking about how my parents came to live where they did and, and, and how they, you know, why was the land so devoid of trees when we moved there and all of that history of place and, and settlement and acknowledging, being aware of and then being able to look forward to a future that takes that into account. There's an amazing book by Sarah Whittingham, which is where I've you know, read a lot of what I found interesting um, about Fernmania and, you know, really recommend that if people want to learn more. It was such a sort of popular hobby for a, you know, emerging wealthy kind of middle class. It was also a whole industry around buying live ferns. So one of the things that happened um, 
here in Aotearoa was that people started going out into the bush, harvesting live ferns, and then just shipping them back to Britain. You know, possibly one of like the lesser known extractive industries of, of early colonial New Zealand. Ferns always featured in the um, big kind of industrial exhibitions, so both the ones that were held here and also the ones in Britain. So they were very much seen as a commercial proposition as well as a as a hobby for people. You know, there's a crazy kind of tension between the fact that people were collecting ferns because they were loving these plants and being in these natural spaces. You know, Dobby described it as a kind of a, a paradise, right, when he kind of walked into that bush gully in Waitakere. But as a result of fern collecting, people were destroying these environments as they went. And so quite quickly, they had to move to protect particularly special places because there were no restrictions on who could come with a spade and just dig up large areas of vegetation. So it's that real contradiction between people loving a thing and then destroying it through their act of collecting it. You know, the silver fern is is a national symbol for Aotearoa. And, you know, there's a sample of a silver fern that Te Papa holds, which was, um, you know, collected on Cook's first voyage. So the fern has a lot of resonance um, across a lot of different aspects of history and culture. You can find a list of references to the content of this episode in the published notes, or get in touch with us by emailing libraryresearch at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz. You can follow Michaela Curtis on Instagram, and you can go see her fantastic books in the Angela Morden Reading Room in Takapuna. Thanks so much to Renee Orr and Michaela Curtis for your contributions to this episode. This series is made with Auckland Library's content creation funding and is part of a wider series of short films, now called The Collections Talk, available to view online. This episode was written and produced by me, Sue Berman. It was recorded and produced by me, Benjamin Brooking. And edited and engineered by me, Juliana Machado. And this has been Nako, the Collections Podcast, all about fern mania. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear the rest of this series and more from Auckland Libraries.